0: Greetings citizen. Welcome to the show and thank you for listening. For more of the art of war gaming in your life, definitely check us out on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon account where you can do just that for as little as $1 a month. What we can offer will expand as the show does. If you don't have extra funds but would still like to help us out, you can give us a like, share, or five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch? Feel free to message us or hit up our email Art of Wargaming Podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you because we know the world is vast, with many different ideas on tactics and strategy that can be applied to the games we enjoy. you to the Art of Wargaming on the
1: firm and Network. Battle for the Ring A Knight's
0: Trail. Welcome to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Verm Network. I am Yagama Lark. Today we're going to be talking about a Knights Trail. But before that, let's talk a little bit about Bifter. Right, battle for the the Ring, or Battle for the Rain, as this one has taken to being called. Let me just preface it by I love this event. It's one of my absolute favorite events. I enjoy making it down for it when I can. But as with anything else, you're rolling the dice. You know, this is this event takes place right in the middle of California's rainy season. Like when they're when they're getting their rain and their weather that... I mean, like they've been in a drought for a while, but this is normally the rainy season time. And so we certainly got some of that. But
1: <laughs>
0: So I got in there a couple of days early, and it was nuts because there were so many roads that were just washed out. It, those of you from that area of the world may be used to such phenomena, but to see an entire road under siege by like 10 feet of mud was unreal. Just unreal. I, I, I'm not quite sure I've ever seen anything anything like that and it made things ridiculous coming in out of the, like the Palm Springs area because of the five thoroughfares that moved through there. Three of them were coated in this mud, or covered in this impassable mud, which made travel difficult as we've studied. Such things are, are important for logistics so we got there, and originally, when, when we had looked at it, the weekend before was supposed to be fairly nasty, and then it was supposed to be, you know, kind of whatever that next weekend, but manageable. Well, as we are getting closer and closer to it, we I began to realize that that little bit of weather that we thought we were going to get wasn't just going to be a little bit. It was going to be a lot. So when we first got there, um, you know, that first... I, we had the setup day, of course. But that first day of being there, I... I don't know, I had this feeling or I had a desire to be on the field or or whatever, but I just felt this fire pushing me. And so I went onto the field and I felt like a young man again. I was out there for about six hours of actual fighting. Eight hours, I I was going to say, because that's the amount of time that I was up and about. But I would say a lot for maybe two hours of rest or, or getting water or food. But otherwise, I was on that field with my brand new ultra super light just bombad red just go into town and enjoy myself thoroughly oh oh it was wonderful and even though there was quite a bit of mud and it made I I took a a few headshots and every headshot I took I felt was purely accidental because I saw the person slip they pulled the the power out of the shot and they're just kind of boop Everybody's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I hit you in the head. And I'm like, it's slippery. Very very slippery out here. And you're trying your best. So I I appreciate that. But I don't normally um, throw shade on this show. But there's one particular individual, and if anybody knows me, you'll know who I'm talking about. He's a particular thick fighter, perhaps even called The Thick Fighter from the Midwest who I despise. Everybody, uh, A lot of people in the sport seem to look up to him. Uh, he teaches classes and everything, and I say, if you're a renowned cheater, why does anybody listen to you? But people do, so I, I guess that's their prerogative. But this individual has pissed me off so many times in the past because of just sloughing shots. Yeah, He's one of those people that if you hit his arm and his hand, both with sufficient force, he will call hand. He well, just straight-up slough shots from people that he doesn't think that he should take them from. And he does it all with this this smug look of, of just superiority. Oh my gosh, I, I despise this man. And he has cheated against me my entire career. He has, he has upset me my entire career every time I've met him. Except for this event. And I don't usually consider my... Or don't, I try not to be a petty person. And I try not to be motivated by thoughts of vengeance. But as some of you may know... Even though it's considered bad form, we don't have a maximum hit calibration in Bellegarth, There is nobody who says, you swung too hard. We don't have that. Like, we have lights, but we don't have a maximum hit calibration, not in our rules. So I I went to town. Every time I met this guy, I cranked it back, and I made sure to hit him pretty dang hard and as many times as I needed to because the number of times that I thought I got this guy and he just sprang right back and was like haha no you didn't so I just beat him literally into the mud on a few occasions just beat him down and it was so satisfying so deeply satisfying to have a despised I wouldn't even call him rival because to be a rival he would have to not cheat constantly you understand, though? So, so yeah, this, that was amazing. Just, just that by itself was a fantastic thing. But I was out there, fought my heart off. And then rain came. And i would lived in Tennessee before. So I've seen rain. I'd seen even this amount of rain before because hurricanes that were dying and had kind of you know, spent themselves over the coast and were moving through as a larger weather system. We got tons of rain in Tennessee for sure, winds and all that. But Tennessee is prepared for it. The ground is prepared for it. And so what we were finding there was that the ground is hydrophobic. For anybody who hasn't been in that region of the world, it means that the sand, it's primarily a sand-based soil, gets so compacted from the heat and from the wind that it just doesn't accept water. The water hits it and rolls off of it like a duck's back. So when you have that level of water coming down out of the sky, that's why it's dangerous. That's why you get these flash floods and these, you know, these landslides and everything. is because the ground is just not made at the moment, because of the drought and, and whatnot, to handle it. So very quickly, the camp turned into a marsh. And I mean a literal marsh, where in many places, if you step down, your, your foot was covered by water. Like, submerged. And this is within a matter of minutes a matter of minutes when it really started coming down. And we were located, um, like my particular tent, we were located on a little bit of a hill, so we weren't in, direct, in the direct marsh. But to get anywhere, I had to cross the marsh, the marsh that I had taken to calling the Dead Vole Marsh. And the reason I called it the Dead Vole Marsh was because of all the dead voles. The water had come down so quickly and so powerfully that it had drowned voles, which are these—if you don't know what they are—they're small rodents—in their burrows and washed them out, so that these little rodents were just floating dead in the water. It was very unnerving, and of course, you know, it's sad—it's sad to see that that kind of that kind of thing happen. But it was also just unnerving to be walking through it, um, and I had to walk through that to get anywhere, basically that that, that area of the world. So we could have stayed. My tent was good, and every time I stopped by it, it was still dry on the inside, so we could have stayed. But many of us chose not to. I mean, there were those brave souls, and many of you are probably listening right now going, Oh, you are one of those. But I wasn't. I spent every piece of energy I had that Thursday out on the field. I was in so much pain from there on out. So leaving and going into the town, I, mean, I consider that a, a tactical withdrawal because I wouldn't have been any use anyways I mean that that, you'll hear some of the interviews I was able to pick up I was very glad to to grab my interviews before the real deluge started coming so a good portion of the uh, the event got rained out but that wasn't anybody's fault The, the portions that I attended were very nice and even though the event was underwater for the latter half of it for a good portion of it they still did everything they possibly could to keep morale up there were some really cool parties that happened. the tournament still went off for the most part you know there, were, there was a lot of really a lot of really cool things that they did to keep the morale up so I, I have to take my hat off to them and they made the best of a, of a bizarre situation. you know, there were people on site who had campers and everything and they they had a pretty good time I reckon just because of the, uh, the insulated dryness that they had but, but yeah it was an interesting I, I, would, I would totally do it again. I guess is is what I'm boiling it down to despite the the discomfort, the pain of having overexerted myself that first day and then having that be kind of compounded by the weather still with the people I got to meet and hang out with, my old friends who I got to see that one glorious day of combat. It was all worth it. It was all 110% worth it. So I would have do it again. Um we're going to have an episode here coming up where we're going to talk to some folks who are intimately involved in the planning and conduct of an event including Sir Anastasia who has impressed me yet again with a fantastic event. So Sir Anna if you are listening thank you again for for having at the very least providing an excuse for us poor montanans to come down to southern california in the middle of the winter. So yeah, let's let's get into these interviews, though. Um, one of the series I was able to conduct, because there were a lot of knightings at this particular event, was I wanted to talk about, as you, as you may have noticed, this little pun, play on words, a knight's trail. How one becomes a knight. How one goes along the path of peerage. And and the knighthood is the most common one. There's a lot of other points of peerage, including my own, which is the profit system, which is a... a a greater part of the Great Hunt. We use the Great Hunt as, as a good portion of our foundation. A lot of this stuff can be found on uh, Geddon, by the way, geddon.org. But the peerage system is huge. It's, it's instrumental to Belagarth, and it means something, or at least it's supposed to mean something. And In times past, it has been a way for folks to stroke their egos, if they wanted to stroke their egos in such a way. But in more recent years, it has become far more reflective of what it should be. Service thinking of others before ourselves, thinking of the community before ourselves and doing the best we can to not only ensure its survival, but the enjoyment and the joy, just pure joy of people coming in, the hard work. That's what the Knights and other peerage folks should be doing is the hard work to earn that particular title, to earn that chain that is worn, which is also seen as a burden of responsibility. So what we have today are three separate individuals walking this night's trail. The first one you will hear is squire now sir Keelick, as he prepares to make the transition himself. He has done everything he has needed to do. He has completed his list. He has walked his path and he is very close as the time of this interview to achieving his title. And so we get to speak about to him about what it feels like that anticipation being on this end of the journey. And the second person we're going to talk to, Dame Freya, is somebody who just received their knighthood. Beautiful ceremony, by the way. I, I'm not sure if any of you were there, but it was absolutely gorgeous. And uh, yeah, it was just an absolute treat to get to participate in it. Saruna, I also wanted to interview for this this section because she and Dame Freya were both knighted in the same ceremony. Uh, Saruna it's a difficult person to track down. <laughs> they're they're very busy and at the event they were running security, so that made them hard to find at the event and you know, now we're outside of the event and they have a lot of real-world stuff going on. So eventually eventually we'll have Sir on as well because I really want to get her perspective, but for this episode we have Sir Freya talking about the journey's end and what comes next. The Elation The relief, the responsibility that now sets in, all these are things that rest upon the mind of a new knight. And lastly, we'll hear from Sir Juggernaut the Bard, the, as I've taken to call him, the Happy Papa, the man who who had his two squires elevated to knights, and gave a beautiful speech on it, by the way. Again, that ceremony was amazing, and when I found out it was just somewhat cobbled together at the, at the last second. I was like, oh my gosh, of course. The most perfect things are sometimes, right? <laughs> they're, they're not even planned. But the man had a, has a, a great speaking voice, a great presence. You'll you'll really love this interview. But talking to him about, I mean, history. He provides, he provides a really interesting history of West Coast peerage. But he has a, a, he, his perspective on what it feels like to have guided... Two members of the community, two excellent members of the community, to this position, and watching them succeed, watching them truly flourish what's well, a treat what's a treat i I share it with my own apostles, just this this watching them grow, watching them become not just better fighters, not just better people, but also better members of the community, more devout in their service, so we're going to speak with him about what it feels like. To raise up two quality individuals like this, and perhaps what that means for the future. So I invite you, please, to sit back as we talk to these three individuals and determine the path and the steps along the night's trail.
1: With me right now is Squire Kilik. Kilik, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's a it's a very big day for me and I'm happy to be here and happy to be a part of, of such a wonderful community and at such a wonderful, wonderful event. I do love Battle for the Ring. It is one of my absolute favorites. An excuse to go to Southern California in the middle of winter at the very least, but it's so much more than that. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I'm I'm coming down from Central Oregon, and we have uh, not as extreme as Montana, but definitely some some harsh winter conditions. And so coming down where where it's warmer is always a pleasure. No no snow at this event ever. I know it's wonderful. Well, you can see it in the mountains on occasion, but like that's the mountains. And yeah, but you need away. some binoculars. <laughs> Very true.
0: Well, you are up and coming. You are, you are just about to receive your knighthood. I am. Uh, but before we really get into that, would you like to tell the listeners a, bit, a little bit about your sword fighting pedigree? Like, when did you start?
1: I would sort of Um So I started in 2008, so I'm coming on 14, almost 15 years mm-hmm. of this being my entire life. I was introduced to Bellegarth by when I was living in southern Utah. Uh, by just a coworker, i was working at a call center and um and one person was like hey i know that you like to go to renaissance fairs and you've done like martial arts stuff and you're obviously a D nerd i do this thing is that something that you would like to come and try and it sounded horribly nerdy <laughs> which but i was like you know what yeah let's try it you know, try anything once sort of sure, thing. Yeah, sure. And I came out and I fell in love. The, the first time that I did this on that scale mm-hmm. was just a remarkable experience. And then I, eventually I went to my first event and realized that it was so much bigger than I even thought then. And then bigger events, and, and meeting better better fighters, and just the whole experience. There's so, so much, and it has been my life. What units have you been a
0: part of? Realms?
1: Um, so as far as units, um, my, first, my first experience with a unit was with uh, the Chaos Guard in, in Idaho, Um, I was a little bit of a special thing because I wasn't living in Idaho. I wasn't part of the Highlands of Chaos. Um, But they were looking at that time to try and expand out. Um, That unit, of course, is, is now defunct and is no longer around. But it was a place where I first felt a level of camaraderie and involvement that was really uplifting. After that, I, I was, uh, I have been honorary horde, uh, but other than that, I haven't done any other unit, uh, activity. Right on. hmm uh, as far as realms, I've been, I've been part of three different realms. I started in southern Utah, as I said, in a little, in a little town, of, the little town of Cedar City. Uh, the realm there was called Ianga Emin. Okay. Uh, which is no longer there everyone kind of moved away and and it kind of collapsed in on itself Uh, and I also I was one of those ones that moved away and found myself in northern Utah uh, in the Provo area where Erduath is and spent a few years there and uh, really came to find a lot more of the the organization there um after that, I moved to Central Oregon for, for a young lady that I met in Bellicard. <laughs> Is that your wife now? Yes, yes. And I, you know, we met at Chaos Wars. It was an amazing experience meeting Sarka at Chaos Wars. Uh, I was living in Utah. She was living in Oregon. And we started this long-distance thing. And I went out there. I met her family, and she she came and visited me. And it became very clear, very fast, this long distance thing, seven hundred miles, is not going to work. Right. And I and so am I going there? Are you coming here? And I wound up moving to Oregon and have been there for for over ten years. With with the love of my life, we. We have uh, three dogs and a wonderful, uh, almost two-year-old together, and those dogs it's... you're hearing in the background, by the way, are these uh, lovely dogs. Speak so. <laughs> we have th- those are my huskies, uh, Nehru and Desna. This, the one you're hearing is definitely Desna. She she has her voice. Chatty creatures. I yes. Suppose. Yes.
0: So the thing you uh, did last night, and the things I, the thing I'm coming late to because I crashed out early like a <laughs> noob. Um, was something called a vigil. Now, this might not be something that a lot of our listeners are familiar with, so would you mind explaining kind of what a vigil is and what the purpose of it is?
1: Gladly. So, a vigil is basically where I come, I come into a space that is public access and allow members of the community to approach me and offer their congratulations and support, but also bring me any concerns that they that they might have about the state of the community. Mm. Where, where someone can come to me and say, "I'm notice, I'm noticing an, a real increase in the in the way that we treat our vol in the in the negative ways that we treat our volunteers." And what do you, as somebody who is an up and coming pillar of the community, have to have to do with solving these issues? How can how can you with the, with the new Title that you are getting uh, help. What do you, you know, and where do you fall on this issue? And it's just a wonderful opportunity to have that sit down and talk about the whole the whole spectrum, and and things aren't going to get resolved in a night, obviously. Of course, yeah. But as somebody who's being brought into that leadership role. To be made directly aware of the of the con, of the concerns of the people is great.
0: Sure. No, and it gives you a good idea of what you might need to address going forward. Like exactly. as you're coming into your knighthood, what issues are there to press forward on, right? Yes. So, how is the vigil done? So, uh, Do people come in and all ask you the same question, or is there uh, drinking games? What, what is it? You know,
1: a lot of people will do it very differently. There's no set one way to do it. Um, you definitely get asked the same questions a lot. You know, we, most of us are aware of the same issues that are happening. Um, there are definitely questions that happen at every single vigil. What does knighthood mean to you? Uh, how, how do you plan on using the, your, new, your new title to better the community? Um, for, for me, uh, a lot of what I wanted to do with my vigil was, was to offer gifts to, to those who, who came and, and share my enthusiasm for our organization. 14, 15 years of doing this and I want to people to see the enthusiasm that exists within, within those who, who stick around sure well you're coming to the
0: end of your Squireship is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners about the process of Squireship maybe some of the challenges they might be seeking on, on this end of this, uh, of your journey
1: yeah, you know, I, that, was, that was a question that I got asked a few times last night, was, was what would some, what is the most important thing you feel is to be communicated to somebody who's looking to get into peerage, who wants to become a squire and eventually a knight? And the best advice that I could think to give is find people, find a, a knight who you have a mutual respect for, that you can say, say, I respect you and you respect me and we have so much that we can learn from each other. Knights are just people and we have gone through all of these experiences, but you've gone through experiences that I haven't and we are so eager to grow all of us. And so finding somebody that you that you feel that camaraderie with that you can grow together I think is the best thing. I went through two nights before I uh, I found Acrid. Acrid is a wonderful mentor for me, but that was what we really talked about on day 1 when I when I started with him was was I feel that you and I have something special as a, as a friendship. We've known each other for years, we've, we've fought in side by side and against each other, and I think that on a combat level, we have a lot that we can teach each other, but on a, on, a, on a real world level, I think that we are a wonderful pair to learn from each other's experiences. Well, right on. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to your to your nighting. Thank you.
0: I am in, absolutely intending to be there because I've watched you grow, and uh, not just as a fighter, not just as a member of the community, but as a person. Just as we all do, if we're not growing as people, what are we doing with this life? Um, just one final question on that matter: um, Were you and your knight
1: in the same realm or the same geographic area, or were you mm-hmm. removed from one another? We were very removed. I, as I said, I live in Oregon and he lives in Vegas and that's what, a thousand miles right and we only see each other on average twice a year typically at Battle for the Ring and at Chaos Wars and that's hard right but we live in the modern age and while we are doing old timey old timey wacky bats we also have the internet in our pocket that's true and our ability to to co- uh, coordinate and plan for big activities when we do meet each other mm-hmm. has never been easier. And I I appreciate Akrid's enthusiasm for staying connected and staying in communication with me on a regular basis. Seems like it would be very important for the process. It is. especially Especially for, you know, just the the daily check-ins, not daily, but the 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 routine check-ins for, hey, what are you doing in your in your local r- realm? What are you doing in town that to promote the thing? And that holds me accountable to be like, am I doing the thing for my community on a local level? And that's important.
0: Sure, I think so as well. By the way, I. I've always, for me, the sport, the community begins in the realm. The realm is the most important part of it, because if we don't have strong, healthy realms, we can't have a strong, healthy, wider community. Exactly. And so I agree with you uh, that uh, the first duty of a knight, the first duty of anybody who's a part of peerage, is to their people. Well, Squire, soon to be Sir Keelich, Uh, I appreciate you very much for talking with me today.
1: I appreciate the offer. I was, was, it's wonderful to be here with you. I hope that, I hope to see you on the field in the rain. (laughs) We'll see how, how bad that gets.
0: And I will absolutely be there at your ceremony this evening.
1: I'm looking forward to it. Thank you.
0: With Dame Freya the Relentless. Dame Freya, thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much for asking me to be here and talk to you today. It's an honor.
0: Well, I, I wanted to for several different reasons. One, I have known of you for a while and the kind of dedication that you've brought to our community. And so I was already like, no, I, I want to find that Freya first. And I heard you were receiving your title, and I was like, I definitely got to find Freya now because I got two reasons. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just please, as you can come on. Uh, but before we get into the process that you've just gone through, let's hear a little about your fighter pedigree.
2: So I've been fighting for about nine years. Um, I've been a i have been was a squire for five years. Um, actually, was retainer to Juggy before he got knighted, and then once he got knighted about five years ago, then I became his squire. Um, I am from the Northern California realm of Seracor in the Bay Area. Um, I am not currently part of a unit or house or anything like that. Um, actually, it is something I would like to look into in the future, but I uh, haven't really had time for that, and I kind of wanted to um, give myself time to work on my squireship and all that before I over, <laughs> overloaded myself with too many things. Sure. So um, that's something possible in the future. Um, I am mostly a sword and boarder. Um, I also have done archery. I've had a couple... Injuries that led to me being an archer for a while, but uh, archery is also fun, and so those are my two styles. I have dabbled in other styles, but sure. haven't really like stuck to it as much. Like I just love fighting sword and board.
0: Well, and, and if any of you know of uh, Dame Freya, you will have just taken notice that not associated with the unit could be associated with the unit. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Well, that's, that's just outstanding. <laughs> and it's cool that you were able to focus like you did. Like, you, you were saying that you didn't really focus on the unit thing, and it seems like you've been pretty dedicated to your Squireship at this point.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I've actually seen kind of that pitfall a few times, where people kind of want to do everything at once, and then they get really burnt out. Um, so I figure, one thing at a time, I'm here for a long time. <laughs> um, And I kind of want to be able to dedicate my time and do the best I can in every area instead of trying to do everything at once and kind of doing a mediocre job in multiple areas at one time. Sure. And, you know, I have a busy life outside of Bell as well, so I want to make sure that I have that kind of balance.
0: Well, I was speaking with your your, uh, former knight now uh, earlier, and he was saying that you have a couple of young that you're also trying to wrangle this whole time.
2: I do have two kids, teenagers.
0: Oh, lovely. (laughs) (laughs)
2: So you know, I mean, it's easier now that they're older. I see um, a lot of our fighters are just starting to have kids, and I remember that time of having the very like young toddlers and babies and stuff. And I don't know if I could have pulled off going to events and you know enjoying bell stuff with the babies around. Um, it does get much easier <laughs> after a while. So um, big shout out to them. It's not easy to try to balance that. Um, and I'm glad to see my kids growing up and enjoying Bell as well. Um, sure. Are my, they
0: legacy kids?
2: My younger son actually just started his own practice because they're eighth graders and not quite old enough to play with the big kids yet. But um, they're out there every week and going crazy and beating each other up, which is amazing to watch. And it's like I love watching the young kids come in and enjoy it, and hopefully they will enjoy it for as long as I have and as much as I have.
0: Well, that's a great way of doing things, too. Um, When I was just graduating from uh, high school, I started a group called the Gladiators, and it was a way for younger guys, people who were in high school, or uh, just high school, to get their bearings, to get their talents and skills kind of established somewhat before they came and joined the city field. We had some real rough-and-tumble guys in the beginning who were not necessarily good about trying to retain uh, kids and, and younger folks. They were just very rough. And so, if you wanted to succeed out there, you had to come out, you know, ready to brawl. And a lot of a lot of people just couldn't hack it, not because they were weak or anything, but just because they hadn't no been conditioned for it. Yeah. And so, being able to say, "Hey, you've got four years to be able to like soak all of this in, come confident in your abilities, steady on your feet, before you go and join the big kids," like you say. Okay. So, I, I think what your son is doing is. Perfect. It was perfect. Yeah,
2: it's, it's totally like a, a self-motivated thing. We didn't tell him to do it or anything, and he just started having friends over after school, and the crowd kept growing <laughs> of random kids in my backyard, and they're out there. They have like 20-pound bows for backyard shooting, and they're out there blasting each other in the face with arrows and mm-hmm. hitting each other with foils, and since we run the realm as well out of our house, we have you know, this huge amount of loner gear, and perfect. imagine just being a kid and having all the swords and shields that you want <laughs> and all the bows and arrows, and so... I see that that's really awesome for them and they're having so much fun. So 100% worth
0: Oh yeah. And if it, if it keeps up you're going to get really good blood from that. Our oh, yeah. high school program continues to churn out quality fighters that... Like
2: to have the youth and the experience at the same time. Oh they're lethal. Oh they're going to be great. One of my guys
0: out here Mellon is a recent graduate of, uh, of high school and of the program and he, he gives us vets in the realm to run for our money. Like We've had to step on our game because we can't, we, can't <laughs> we can't let him just over us. he yeah, just <laughs> weight lifts and everything. So he's got the youth, the sprightness, the athleticism, and then, of course, the drive and training. Like, oh, he's a beast. He's a beast <laughs> on that field. So, outstanding.
2: It's exciting to see people come up like that.
0: It is. It is. I and mean, I'm sure you've seen quite a bit of that in the roles that you, you have, have played while being in here because, uh, like I said, I was uh, it was a treat to be able to witness your ceremony yesterday. I was walking by and i went, like, who's this? And I saw you all in the middle and I was like, well, i got to stay with you. <laughs> and it was, for one thing, I just have to say, it was a beautiful ceremony. I mean, it was very touching in many ways. So for one thing, the, the pageantry of it, um, it hit all the red buttons, I, I think, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, the presentations, the, oh my gosh, the lovely, amazing garb that you had made for Thank yourself. You. <laughs> oh, I... There was just so much about that how much did you help in the planning of that and how much of that was just pure juggernaut
2: um we also we all very procrastinated in finalizing what the ceremony looked like we've been talking about it for a few months like what elements is it going to have what do you want to talk about what is it you know what's the vibe <laughs> overall it's like does it be super serious do you want to do traditional and we decided not super serious because it's not really us and we wanted something that was more us so we went with the the juggy, charismatic kind of comedy style, which I think, you know, was great, and he's always a great speaker, so we're lucky to have a knight who's just already, you know, at this perfect moment, ready to give a great speech and doesn't really have to, like, fumble through things or read things too much, and he just does a great job no matter what, but, uh, we kind of finalized it like an hour before the ceremony.
0: <laughs> I would not have, I would not have thought that. Coming up, I was like, this is, looks really well rehearsed, this looks really well done, there were a lot of elements that were brought in, like, for a, so, to hear that, like, kudos to y'all for pulling it together and putting on such a quality uh, presentation, in addition to your elevation. Like, that's, that's a whole lot of balls to juggle at once, you know?
2: And Runa, Sir Runa, is my best friend, mm-hmm. so that's why we decided to do double knighting. Like, it was just how many people get to get knighted with their best friend. So, it was, like, super awesome to have that. But, um, planning out the elements we picked out, we wanted it to reflect, like, what we had done as far as, like, the security stuff and, like, arts and sciences, um, did steal a few things from SCA. I am also a member of the SCA. And, uh, so I watch a lot of nightings. Sure. <laughs> and, um, I just really love the ending, um, that they use for a lot of their ceremonies, which is, uh, until the world ends or death takes us. <laughs> so I think that's really cool. I like that, so, sure. um, Metal. I really wanted that in there. And, um... A lot of the stuff does come from Juggy ceremony, so that's the more traditional um, side of things. And I really liked um, a lot of the stuff that it was already in there. He was reading out his original printout of his ceremony and was like, of well, this is really great and like applies to us and doesn't feel stuffy or... Forced. Forced, yeah. So I really liked what he had there, so we didn't have to change a lot. And then... Um, the swords on the shoulders, um, that was also a thing from SCA that I thought was really cool. Mm. A way to physically um, represent, you know, the weight and the responsibility that comes with peerage and um, the weight of lifting up your community. And so I thought that was a really cool thing to do. And it was also really scary.
0: <laughs> all these swords coming I, down. And like... That's why I wore
2: a gorget. It's like, I love all of you, but maybe not trust you that much. Sword. It's slippery out there, you know, because things could go wrong, so...
0: That's cool as well, because it gives the community a chance to show their support. Yeah, and I really wanted to people to be sword. involved.
2: And normally, in the beginning, it was only for Peerage to do that. It was other nights only, but it's like, Peerage isn't for Peerage. Peerage is for the community, so I that's why I wanted to invite everyone, and I put out a you know, Facebook blast, you know, if you have a sword you want to bring, you want to be a part of my ceremony, come out, and I brought a bunch of extra swords and just found my friends and people who I had looked up to, and people who I felt like were big contributors to the community, it was like, hey, do you want to come and put a sword on me?
0: <laughs> no, I, and and I'm glad they did. I'm glad, that, uh, again, it was one of the larger knighting ceremonies I've been to. I felt like a very good portion of the event was there for that, and, I mean, part of it was good advertising, I'm sure, but it also shows the incredible respect and the incredible support that you and Room have had for this community.
2: Yes, I was very not shocked, but like very touched by the number of people that came out and the number of people who wanted to help. Um, We had kind of a fiasco. Prior, I got here. Well, seven hours away. We got here. We started unpacking the car and my entire suitcase full of garb and all of my nighting regalia was at home. Oh no. My suitcase had been left at home when we packed the car and (laughs) I was losing my mind and people stepped up immediately I got loaner garb from friends, I had a stunt chain lined up, (laughs) because we were just going to go ahead and do the ceremony, I was not going to not get knighted because I didn't have my stuff I had my circle and I had my shield, and -hmm. everything else had been left at home, so it's like we're just going to do it and everybody just immediately came in and started helping and you know, doing everything to make sure I got where I needed to be and I appreciate that so much, and that's almost better than actually remembering my stuff, it's just you know, to have people step up and be so ready to help. It like really makes you feel loved, and it was an awesome thing.
0: <laughs> no, and it seemed, so your stuff didn't arrive at all.
2: It did eventually arrive. Okay. Um, Runa's dad actually came up yesterday afternoon. Like he got here probably like an hour and a half before <laughs> hiding. And um, our friend, another fighter, was at home um, in San Ramon, and he was taking care of our cats. Mm. So he had a key to our house, which means he could get my suitcase. So he gave the suitcase to Bruna's dad, and he brought it up. So that was, like, a really coordinated team effort, and it was amazing. And um, Twig, the fighter who was at home, and Sartorix offered to meet halfway in the middle to get my stuff. And I was like, please don't drive that far. That's, like, that's like, ten hours of driving combined for you guys. Like, that's too much. And But they were going to do it. Like, people were so ready to help.
0: Because you're in northern California,
2: right? Yeah, we're in the San Francisco yeah. Bay Area.
0: Ooh, so it a was a wild ride. ride. I, came, I came down from Montana, but I wasn't trying to make somebody's uh, then the, the, all the LA traffic and the. Oh, that was rough. Uh,
2: Not a fan of the LA traffic.
0: I've only experienced it twice now in my life, and I'd be just fine with that being it. I just maybe get a private helicopter. <laughs>
2: we have we're pretty notorious for bad traffic too, but it's nothing like down here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so this process that you went through—I mean, obviously the ceremony was gorgeous. It turned out fantastic, but the ceremony was really just sort of the cherry on the top of this amazing cake that you baked, which was your squireship that kind of led to this moment. What parts of your squireship did you find the most challenging to carry forward?
2: Um, of all the elements that kind of go into building a well-rounded pier, I would say the actual like in-person field leadership, field command, that was one of the requirements was the hardest for me i am not a loud person and i'm not really a a commanding person i'm a bossy person <laughs> like i don't like to do that so that was like out of my comfort zone big time but like i also felt like doing it was 100 worth it even though it was like uncomfortable for me in the beginning because i needed to develop that and that's kind of the reason you do a so that you can learn new things and you know round yourself out with your talents and skills and just become a better member of the community who can offer sure. more. Sure. So, but that, that was rough.
0: <laughs> no, and it is for a lot of people. It's just like in America, uh, the number one phobia is public speaking. That's a lot of folks good. just really don't <laughs> like getting up there and, and do it. I mean, if you can tell by my line of work, I, I don't mind it at all. <laughs> but, you know, it makes sense. Especially, you, you can be such a positive community member even without it. And so you're able to contribute where they're coming all these ways, but when you're brought out of yourself, out of the shadows, into something like that, did you have like a, an echoer, like a, a caller that if you said, turn right, they would be like, turn right, like, like somebody with, or did you just develop the, the presence, the voice to be able to do that?
2: We had to like be the voice for mm-hmm. it. And, okay. uh, I mean, I can be loud, I just don't like to be loud. <laughs> So I had to be loud. and Like that's uncomfortable for me just to just be like yelling commands at people because it's just not, not really my personality. But um, part of it was also recruiting your army and like hyping things up. So it was a good exercise in communication, both like you know written communication of the internet and stuff, and then also um, just in-person communication with your, you know, your your team and the other side and figuring things out. And overall, a good exercise, but a little little scary. Yeah. <laughs>
0: What parts did you find the most enriching? Like, when when you've gotten to this point and you're going to go forward, which things are going to stand out as, like, the sparkling notes?
2: Um, running the realm and actually, like, going into a leadership position after, like, kind of hanging back and just doing organizational stuff and being that person that people come to and people trust and, like making sure people get to practice, making sure people have garb if they need it for to an event and, you know, to be kind of like the realm mom and <laughs> being in that role and being able to help new people who are just getting started, like, that's super, super enriching to me because, like, you're starting something great for them mm-hmm. and you're making the difference and you're making them come back. Like, if nobody picks up that, that role of helping them get started or being the person that they can come to, sure then they might not come back right. and they're gonna miss out on a lot
0: and we're gonna miss out a lot because every new person that comes in is somebody who brings a different perspective brings a different voice and may end up being a positive contributor to the community right?
2: absolutely i mean we have our one of our noobs here <laughs> he's been in like three months and oh. he got out to the event and he's sitting right outside <laughs> and now he's doing calligraphy and stuff and it's just so cool to see people like just pick up new interests and learn new things super fast and just jump right in. So
0: right. Huh? Well, because it's it is, awesome. it, it's more than just a game. What we do here, it, it, it also is the, like the classes and the crafts and the meeting people. And a lot of people like this is a foundational part of their lives. Like something, something like a nighting can be something that you look back on. It can be just as important as graduating from high school because it is it is a, again a recognition from your community. Of something big like that, yeah. I know when I received my my title at a battle the ring forever ago, it was one of those walking on air moments. I just I was loving life for like the next forever just because I would achieved this thing, mm-hmm. been recognized for this thing, but also knew that it wasn't done. My work was not done. This was leading someplace else. This this was not a destination, but just another step on the way of the journey. Absolutely. So in that same mind or this journey you've made this step you have your chain. beautiful chain by the way. Um, what's ahead what's the next part of the journey
2: I do see myself in some areas going more from um, like a competitor in arts and sciences because I have competed in almost every A&S competition in the last nine years and, and won a lot of them and um, this year I decided to become a judge and probably retire I guess from competing because um, I'm also a professionally made Garvin, at some point it becomes kind of fun fair, <laughs> but um, just moving on to more of like a mentor or teacher role, and just to help organize things for arts and sciences, because arts and sciences is obviously a huge part of like my path as a spire and as a peer, um, and just also stepping more into organization for running the realm, and I'm doing that now, but I want to start building things out and not just maintaining, but growing and, you know, coming up with new ideas and, um, just being, like I said, more than the mom role. Like now I feel like, I feel like a vet fighter, you know, for the first, I don't know. I felt like a noob for like nine years, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I, think nine years, you I kind of did, kind
0: of start calling yourself a
2: but like when you start becoming the, like people start coming up to you and asking you things, like you know things, you're like, Oh, maybe I maybe I do know things and it's time for me to like step into that role of like actively making sure that people have what they need or like that things are growing or that new ideas are being implemented that are good for the community. So kinda hmm. that's the next step went from like more learning to now teaching. Oh, teaching yeah. yeah.
0: Do you have anybody in mind? Do you have anybody uh or are you already picking squires or are you just kind of letting it ride for a second getting used to the role?
2: I was actually supposed to pick a retainer as part of my <laughs> squireship, but um, with the lack of events and things, the kind of lack of new people, we don't see a lot of new faces yet because we just people want events, right? And that's what gets people to come in and sort of stick around. But right now Battle for the Ring is the only California event that's been running. We do have one coming up in April, but there just hasn't really been new people and most of the people that have been interested in Peerage are already squired. So I really haven't been able to find someone yet, but I've definitely been scouting at this event, you know, looking for those faces that are continuously volunteering and I always see them helping with something like those are the people who need to be picked up and given that chance. And like, you know, do you want to know about you know Peerage or is this something you'd be interested in? Um, so I'm definitely scouting for those new shiny faces who are, you know, just full of energy and ready to help and ready to learn. So,
0: so it's your, when you're looking at a potential new people, the folks that you want to bring into the peerage, your focus is not on combat necessarily, but more on that service element.
2: Um, I think it needs to be all, and like, not a lot of people have all. Like I say, there's like four main things, which would be combat, arts and sciences, um, service, and leadership, and. Um, I'm really looking for someone who maybe not necessarily has all of those skills yet, but is eager to learn and is willing to put in the time. Like a lot of these things like arts and sciences, not everyone is a born artist and you don't need to be a born artist. Those things are taught and they are learned and they're practiced and anyone can be a great garber or a a great calligrapher or a great weapon maker. It just takes dedication. Mm -hmm. So an eagerness to learn is more important, I think, than already having that skill
3: set.
0: It's, I think it's why a lot of um, like football clubs or soccer clubs, they want those n- newer fighters, or uh, excuse me, newer players, because they don't have bad outs. You can That's just fair just
1: too.
0: <laughs> take that new and excited, eager person and kind of mold them into the kind of community member that you want them to be before the rest of the community corrupts them. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they also, they're a new set of eyes and a new set of ears and they're like, because we... We've been looking at things kind of like the same way, like Bella is a certain way and everything is done a certain way. We're so used to looking at it. When new people come in, they have a completely different perspective. Sure. We're like, well, why don't we do this? And I'm like, oh, I never thought about doing that. That's a great idea. So having these like, you know, new people, with new ideas who are seeing things with a fresh set of eyes, I think is super valuable and helps us grow and helps us continue to evolve to be better. Sure.
0: I agree as well. Like I, There have been a lot of rules, particularly implemented recently, safety rules, that I have been a huge fan of. For instance, bloody noses from javelins don't really happen anymore. And I'm totally <laughs> all right with that because <laughs> I have I've had quite a few <laughs> bloody noses from javelin, javelins. Um, but when we're seeing the, 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 this fresh perspective, this new, um, that, this progress that we're talking about, we're also trying to preserve traditions as well. Like, for instance, the very traditional elements of your knighting ceremony mm-hmm. were things that go back throughout all of the lineages, back to when Numenor first started really doing this back in the way Web. What, what traditions do you think should be kept, no matter what?
2: I mean, I really appreciate the actual, like, visual <laughs> impact of um, the elements of knighthood. Like, Those things that are traditional, the white belt, the chain, all those things, because they signify someone who has the ability and the experience and the willingness to put in work or to help someone, and they are somebody that you can count on to do something. So like those signifiers that are traditional I think are still really important and help newcomers be able to recognize someone that can help them out with whatever they need. Um, Other (laughs) elements that are traditional that I like. Um, and, and
0: even just the, as the community as a whole, the sport of the whole, like what are the things that we've we've had that really work and that you think should stay, or is everything kind of in flux there's, anything can be progressed
2: actually, there's something I was just talking about that I really miss that we used to really go hard on and it was like realm battles, yeah, we don't really do that too much anymore, um, but I love that because. Like being in a unit is one thing, and it's also kind of exclusive. It's not for everyone, right? But like everybody has their realm. These are your people you see every week. These are your friends, basically your family. And to go out and like fight your heart out for your friends is so fun. And to practice all the stuff you've been doing in practice, and um, I just always super enjoyed those, and definitely miss <laughs> miss those round battles.
0: I agree with you 110% there. I have gone to many an event where the realm battle was more satisfying in many ways than the unit battle was for that same reason. You all come from the same place. You're, you're used to practicing together. Like the, the folks that I came from the same realm, even if we're not the same unit anymore, I move left, they move right. We know, you know each other
2: so well, you're like predicting their move and you know that you can fill in here because they're going to go this way. So I just, yeah, I really love that. Um, I don't think that feasts at an event are a tradition that needs to be kept. I think at some point it becomes unmanageable and it's a lot of stress on ECs and it's a big expense for the event and um, I think award ceremonies are better for that time when we're handing out awards and stuff. and I like the idea of camps kind of feeding their people and having dinners with their friends at night and not having to wait in a giant line and going through and getting food and trying to find a seat and stuff. Right. So the the kind of phasing out of feasts in a lot of events, most of it was like initiated by COVID, but like I don't think it's something we will miss really. So and having a lot of friends who are easy, it's like to see the feast kind of make its way out is not a problem for me. <laughs> Uh, and also so many people have allergies and, you know, food intolerances and stuff. Like, it gets really hard to do the feast. So I like I like the idea of a separate award ceremony and just going out there to support your friends and not having to wait in a giant line and deal with all the food stuff. <laughs>
0: that makes sense. And, it's, and like you said, the post-COVID era, when not standing in line and everybody grabbing and yeah. <laughs> the same food, like, I, I'm 110% with you. That, that seems to, uh, there were a lot of things in the pre-COVID era that were fairly normal, but uh, they were also kinda of gross. <laughs> I noticed a lot more people for any sort of drinks, they'll bring like their
2: own drinking vessel. Oh yeah, we the all used to like, just like just pass drink it. out of the bottle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and everybody left with their bed play, which was like Absolutely. a combination of a cold, a flu, maybe some strep thrown in there just right <laughs> for So I'm okay. I'm okay <laughs> with that with <laughs> Well, before we finish up here, because I'm sure you have other things to do with your time as well, um, I just wanted to ask, let's say somebody is starting this journey, or thinking about starting this journey, the journey that you have made this step on, only continue on first. Why should they do this? And what would be a good mindset, do you think, to come into it for, 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 for success?
2: Um, it really depends on personality type. Like, you can be a great well-rounded Bellagrim, who's a huge contributor to uh, Bella Garth as a whole, without a peerage. It's obviously not necessary, but there are people who need more structure, and that was me. Like, I really wanted to improve in these areas, and I wanted to push myself in the areas where I was weaker, but I'm also kind of, like, <laughs> all over the place, and I get distracted easily, so it really helped me focus on what I wanted to become and how I was going to get there, and also, when you are working towards peerage, people really definitely like come out of the woodwork to help you learn things, other peers, um, and you have so many great resources, and I feel like you don't quite get that kind of support if you're just someone who wants to know something, like if their squires need to know, they're gonna be helping their squires first. Um, So if you are that person who wants those resources and wants guidance and wants some structure, like the peerage is a great place to get that. Sure,
0: No. yeah, absolutely absolutely and you you could rarely find a better resource than Sir Juggernaut absolutely (laughs) uh, the two of you uh, you uh, Sir Runa and yourself and then Sir Juggernaut you guys are just
3: you're awesome
0: and I cannot I cannot (laughs) say that
3: enough but
0: uh, Dame Freya I appreciate you so much coming on the show
2: thank you so much for asking me to do this This it's been really fun
0: and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the future absolutely Juggernaut the Bard. Hello. How are you doing today, sir?
3: I could not be better.
0: Now, before we get into the, the real matter of what I wanted to speak to you about, which is the outstanding two New Unites that you've helped elevate, I uh, wanted
3: to know a little bit about you. Absolutely. Uh, so I have been... Um, my name is Luke, and I live in Idaho. And drove down here with my good friends. But I am originally... My sword fighting career started in Utah in a group called The Watchmen of Erdwath. And I started there in uh, about 96, 1996. And <clears throat> was part of a group called The Wolves. And it was there that I, I went to Ragnarok 13. I went to the first three Chaos Wars, 1, 2, and 3. And um, yeah, I got squired in 98 um, to a gentleman named Turin, who was the, the first knight of Utah. And U- Utah has an interesting past. Uh, sword fighting came to Utah by a gentleman named Jay, who uh, was from Maryland and who fought with a group called the Aratari, who are a uh, dagger here uh, group. And Jay moved to Utah and wanted to start his own thing, and he called it Battle Guard. Hmm. But it used all the same rules as Dagger here. And at the same time, a gentleman named uh, Thane moved from Idaho, or moved from Illinois, where he had been fighting with a group called Numenor, and he moved to Idaho. And then started these two parallel groups began at the same time. One in Idaho with Thane, one in Utah with Jay uh, from Dagger here. And we eventually made contact with each other, started doing some crossover events in the mid-90s, and that's when I got involved. And the battle guard was sort of abandoned when they realized we were using the dagger here playset, and we're like, we're just dagger here. Then we were all just dagger here. And it was at that time that Thane had knighted someone named Cedric, who was a sort of a new fighter in Idaho, and uh, Cedric then knighted Turin to be the... to start knighthood down in Utah. Be the Mm -hmm. seed to start it in Utah. And and that's when I was a 16-year-old kid, and I squired to a Turin. So... That was me until the '90s, um, and then I uh, moved to California in 1999 and um, was inactive for a couple of years because I was serving a Mormon mission in Bulgaria, which is why I speak Bulgarian. Um, and when I came back, there was no one in there was no one in California at all doing foam-fighting, Garth or Dagger here. And when I was gone, I found out the sport split in two. Oh, I, came, I came back season. and I said, what happened? Like, and everyone said, hey, by the way, we're not Dagger here anymore. We're Bellagarth.?" And I was like, what's a Bellagarth? <laughs> and why are, why are we Bellegarth, not Dagger here? We're like, well, because you're from Utah. And, and Utah and Idaho are Belagarth not Dagger here. I was like, says who? They're like, well, it says all of us. I was like, okay. Uh, and so I went to California. And the only person in California at the time was um, a gentleman named Mordrock who is a very ancient dagger here fighter. And he was down in uh, the LA area, and that was it. There's no one else here. So I uh, I was thinking, you know, what can I do to help start up foam fighting? Um, and I got a big boost because a couple of Numenor fighters moved out for work. Their names were uh, Darklax and Rain and uh, um, Selrak, Speef. And there was another one, um, Artemis, who was a knight of Numenor. And they moved out there, uh, and Kyrax moved out too, Kyrax being the biggest boon for us. Um, and we started a little San Francisco group called Peller Gear. This would have been in the early 2000s. And um, then a lot of the Numenor crew moved again to L.A. And But Peller Gear really was the seed that started all of what is now commonly referred to as Norcalia. it's mm. and, and like the greater realm. The greater realm of Norcalia. Yeah. And they, they really, it you know, sprouted from there. And that was... For people who don't necessarily know what that is, sure. a,
0: a brief definition of Norcalia. Norcalia.
3: So yeah. Norcalia is, was for a long time a sort of uh, confederation of smaller realms that would go to events and fight as a large uh, realm together. And we would uh, host what we called moots. And a moot would be, you know, basically all of us agree we're all going to go to a practice of another realm in different weeks. So we're all going to go to this practice this week and not our own practice. So that we could have a large day day event, sort of impromptu day event. And we fought together, we trained together, we had a general army. Sir Shatterson was the general of Norcalia, so that when we went to Battle for the Ring and were all together he would help lead us all. And and we had, there was about a two to three year period where it was extremely cohesive. And, um, you know, and then the realm started taking on more of their individual identities and less. But Norcalia is still a big entity. Uh, but it's, I would say it's more of like a region, like the Balkans or or something like that. Um, but there's a lot of sentimentality. Anyway, Pelergear was that first one that spread out and, and Kyrax made friends with folks at, at Ren Fairs and other people. And a group called Melenorod got started, which was a dagger here group, the only one in sort of a sea of Belagarth, And they would move and they would move and just it spread like wildfire. So that's, I would say the majority of my, you know, I, was, I, I consider myself a student, and a squire, really learning when I was in Utah. And then I felt like my career and the work I did building happened in Northern California. And now I'm sort of like in my golden age, retirement years in Idaho, where I live today, just <laughs> enjoying myself, having a lot of cigars, and trying to support the people who are there. And
0: yeah, this amazing tent, by the way, I know you guys can't see it, but I'm in this just, it's an amazing walk in tent with carpets and comfy chairs, and it's away from the
3: rain, which I'm sure you can hear in the background. So, yeah, living this is the, the, the life. Jugger Hut. This is what is referred to the Jugger Hut. I've been carting this to events primarily as a place, you'll see drums everywhere. We, we primarily. Coming here to make music mm-hmm. is our musical, the music hall musical. So that when we're, I mean the best place to make music Is by the fire at night With lots of people but This is the second best place mm-hmm. um, So yeah, if you came last night you would have heard A lot of musicians playing And uh, drumming and that is probably my Peak happiness at an event I feel that So yeah, that was very, very long winded version I'm not part of any units I was knighted about four years ago by Turin Who, you know, 20 years later I was a squire for 20 years, and Turin had by then retired from the game, lived up in Portland, and five years ago he flew down from Portland and knighted me, um, and, and then flew home. It was a, it was a very special thing to complete that experience, I, although I do not recommend 20-year squireships <laughs> at all. It's a bad idea.
0: I imagine that's that's. Uh, I feel like I'm I'm stringing my apostle along for the fact that he's been in it for five years. Well,
3: everyone has their own path, I guess. That's true. I guess I shouldn't apologize for my path. It is my term of service was in Norcalia for a long time, trying to help put that together and support those people. So it
0: seems to be a very successful region.
3: Yeah, they've they've done incredible, and they're now bouncing back from the pandemic. And I will say, it makes me very happy that the two squires that I just knighted are going to remain as resources to Norcalia. Nice. They both live in Norcalia, and I view knighthood as being a And not just knights, any of these peerages to be. You're creating uh, pillars. Using this tent as a metaphor, which is the metaphor I always use. I view Beligar in this sport as a big tent. uh, And the individuals uh, as tent poles keeping the tent up. And if there are no poles, there's no tent. It falls over. It's just canvas. It's just canvas that's not doing anything and not helping anyone. So my goal is to find more tent poles to hold up the tent. I love that. So I hope that Runa and Freya, and they have been, uh, will continue to be that for Norcalia. Well, they have
0: shown nothing but excellence, even up until this point. And so yeah. title or no title, I think that we can I, I, I hope for a, a very bright future for the sport. I'm right there with you. But before we talk about those two amazing individuals, I did want a quick aside. It's interesting that we can both trace our lineage back to Cedric.
3: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it is cool. You know, I was telling someone about, like, what is knighthood in Belgarth? And I'm like, well, on the very basic level, it's 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 a fantasy LARP with a theme. Mm -hmm. You've chosen to be a knight. You know, there's plenty of other types, of warrior cultures in history that you could have chosen to LARP as. Mm -hmm. But maybe because you know, but for some reason, in this sport, so many have chosen that theme, and those who choose it have a lot of uniformity about their the way they conduct themselves, as far as like the type of garb, belts, chains, things like that. So it has a lot of like consistency even throughout the country. So because of its popularity, because of its consistency, it, it, it sort of does take on an, an almost institutional meaning. It does. Even though it in no way is codified in the Book of War or anything like that, but the fact of its consistency and uniformity, it has become like a sub-institution within the game. Very true. Well At least that's how I feel about it. And, and something, like you
0: said, that should be... Holding it up and not holding it back mm-hmm. with these tentpoles ideas, and with that, I'd like to talk about these two wonderful people that you've just elevated, and kind of the process that you went through with them, and of course, happy daddy sensation, like to, oh, to yeah. see
3: fantastic uh, new individuals be elevated like this. So, these are the first people that I have knighted. Oh, I was uh, I was knighted myself five years ago. So the the lineage I come from uh, from U- in Utah to turn. The idea was that knights had squires and squires had pages or retainers. So and it was very common to have like this retainer. And the knight wouldn't take the retainer. The squire would take the retainer. Mm-hmm. And but only when the squire was at the very end of their squireship, mm-hmm. like the last five to six months. As sort of like practice to being a having a squire of their own. A retainer was sort of practice to, to doing that. And and that was the idea. And so I did that. And I took on Two folks. Oh, I took on two folks um, as retainers, Freya and uh, Three Bears, um, As when I was a squire. And then when I got knighted, I elevated them to be uh, squires themselves, not retainers. So that was a pattern I followed from, from when I was raised. Um, so in the last two years before I was squired, I took on another big project, which I was passionate about and that was an order. Uh, it was called the Order of Norcalia. And the idea behind this project was if squires are accountable to knights, who are, ni- who are knights accountable to? And the idea was if we would make an order based on some tenets that we could all agree upon, then people would join the order. And it could be a place not only to hold people accountable, but also to provide a community if others were interested. And it wouldn't just be knights, it was knights, it was war masters, um, Be any one of the guilds: seneschals, uh, artificers. um, I'm forgetting chroniclers. Uh, And so it was this idea of peerage. It was an order of peerage. Was the idea. We spent a long time um, working on that, and it ended up not coming to fruition at the end. Uh, But because it was a two-year project, there was a lot of resources we developed that we were able to salvage. And one of those resources that we salvaged was the list that squires would use to become knights. And it was something that all the project team, and there was about eight to 10 of us on the team, uh, squires, knights, war masters, prentices, uh, parts of the peerage of the guilds, we all contributed to this list and, and we argued over it about how much in this. So I, when I took them on as squires, I sort of pulled that from the burning wreckage. And I said, I'm taking this with me. And it's those lists that, that um, Freya and Rooney used part of their development and my other squires currently use as well Hmm. so that was part of their path was going through that list
0: i well i think it's it's we all have fairly common things that we require i require very very similar things of my apostles that you do of your squires we require service not just to the realm which is very important but to the, the sport as a whole through volunteering at events and volunteering uh for positions of leadership and that sort of thing we encourage some form of uh, martial proficiency, whether that be in you know, one style or the other, or a combination thereof. And then, of course, there's the idea of the mentorship, yeah. which I, th- which I, with my with my uh, apostles, I value very much as well, um, because we're not just creating people who should be good community members, but also good leaders. Mm-hmm. The the tentpole now,
3: the tentpole. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, so let's talk yeah, about a them, lot of though. similar things on that list. I, I all, all those things are on mine. It's you know. Uh, again, themes, honor, how you conduct yourself, knowing the rules, yep, 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 yep. you know, service to your realm and to the sport and to events, things like that.
0: Well, they seem to be very individual, too. Like, that, does that influence? Because when you, when you look at the two of them and the heraldry they've chosen and the way that they volunteer and serve, yeah. I imagine that uh, both of them required a little bit different attention and a little bit different instruction.
3: Well, yeah. Uh, so Freya is... Um, has two teenage children, um, and has a full-time job. Runa is a police officer, um, and and got that job during the pandemic. You know, went through an academy and applied for it, and so they have. Ex- and, and Runa has no children, is, and, and ha- so they have extremely different lives, and um, but they both deeply care about the sport and deeply care about the community, and you know when I look when I look at um who I want to, and I've had a lot of people ask to be to go through the squire journey and I've told them no for a variety of reasons but um, when I look at those two and I see such a dedication to what I call it, uh, feeling feeling the yoke of responsibility. Some people feel the weight of that. Others don't have a care in the world. They just they can, Things could be falling around them. There could be a whole lot like, hey, can someone help pick up trash? And people, like, Just walk on past. Uh. They do not feel the yoke of responsibility <laughs> of saying I should do that. right? Uh, and I could tell that both of them Feel the weight of what they should be doing, and I and I liked that sense of responsibility, which is why I, you know, approached them, um, and and said, "Hey, let's." You're already doing so much that it's so hard, and really impossible to train. You either have to feel it or you don't feel it. Right. You, know, you can train someone how to swing a sword, right? But um, you can't train them how to care. Right? So
0: you approached them, uh, and
3: and so I'm who- trying to remember. So I definitely approached Runa. Freya approached me Okay. Freya approached me I approached Runa because I think people were considering Runa for squireship and I wanted her <laughs> I don't know how to say that differently I was like no 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 Runa is amazing right I, I want to squire her I don't want anyone else to do it I have a vision for what I want to do with Runa sure and I'm sure she would be very successful with whoever. But I wanted to be the one to walk with that path. So it was a very awkward conversation, if you can imagine, like an elementary school kid, like, "Will you be my girlfriend?" Like how, like how awkward. It was just check as awkward. Check yes or no. Like yeah, yeah, that's it. It was just as awkward as you can you might imagine. And I and I and I like kept trying to like say it differently, and only made it more awkward. And she was like, "Yes, juggernaut. Yeah, yes, I will." Be your squire, yes, and I was like, Cool, thanks, and like skipping off. Yeah, it was, it was a very strange. I and I realized that moment I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to approach this. I just walked up to them and just began, you know. <laughs> That's I haven't thought about that in a long time. That makes me laugh, yeah. So, but Frey approached me, and um, and then I approached Trina, and I also really loved the idea of having uh women as knights and women as squires because I think that knighthood and knights get a bad rap for many things and there's not a lot of diversity Um, well actually I do think there is now I think maybe 10 to 15 years ago there wasn't oh yeah no there certainly wasn't but I feel like you know we're doing a lot better job now so having more like gay people who are knights and people who are of color and you know people who are trans and people you know when you have representation in this highly visual role, then you're going to have parts of your community that that think, oh, that is me. Right. Like, I could do that. Not like, oh, that's a bunch of other people who are better than me, right. and I don't belong there.
0: There's just a bunch of cis white boys that are got their own little frat. Exactly. There, when
3: yeah. they see representation in highly decorated roles, they think, that's something I could do. right? And I, I just really love that uh, idea of inclusion. They feel like they could belong.
0: No, I, I find that to be extremely... Noble because the more voices we can bring to the table from different perspectives, the better that we make everything right. And it's not just the echo chamber that can be created by you know one group or the other being there by themselves, right?
3: Not, I have I have two, I have three other squires, <laughs> I, I had five squires yesterday, um, and you know, they're the other ones are uh white dudes, so you know, it's it's not just women. You well talent. represented I mean, regardless you're looking for talent well that is 100% right you know I I, I look for them for their qualities uh, first and foremost as individuals and they were overflowing with those qualities well do you I'm sure that you've
0: congratulated them and and of course uh, enthusiastically supported them along this journey but if there was something else that you could say to them uh, what would it, what might it be
3: Uh take squires (laughs) I don't like to see peerage well that's maybe a heavy handed thing to say I love I love seeing when uh, knights war masters guild members take squires take apprentices because it is one of the most meaningful and intimate ways that you can um, help build the sport Mm -hmm. is you can show up to an event you can show up to realm you can do stuff but when you take someone under your wing and you help them and guide them um You know, that you're investing in someone who's going to invest in others. Right. It isn't. Paying it forward. You're paying it forward in a big way. And and it can be, there's a lot of like, um, what do they call that? Uh, Imposter syndrome, where you think I am not good enough to be a knight, or I'm not good enough to squire someone. And at the end of the day, it's the squire's journey, not yours. Right. You know, you're there just to help them, but it's their journey and they're going to walk the path, right? But yeah, invest in others. That would be my advice to them but I think I I yelled out at them a lot so maybe that wasn't the best thing because I I do try to trumpet that a lot well you know different people have different styles
0: right Um, and I guess kind of the same idea if you've got people who are either approaching their knighthood or who have uh, recently achieved it take squires obviously one. be responsible to our sports. but is there anything else that we should be aware of as titled persons in in order to encourage others encourage growth uh, in the realm and in the community at large
3: well yeah i would say first off don't i think there are sometimes uh there certainly has been negative stigmas about knights that have had bad behavior and there certainly has been negative stigma about knights being in charge of things being the boss and everyone else is sort of under them because they're the boss some of that is earned and i think some of that is uh, not quite fair i think when you have someone who's very personally active and they love doing things, it's naturally for that person to have really good garb and armor and weapons because they spend all their time and money on those things. You know, if I was hanging out with someone who's really into board games or magic cards or video games, they would probably have the best stuff because that's the things that they love to do the most. And and equally so, it's also common for those people to end up being in charge because if no one's going to show up, it's going to be them who shows up, right? And so you have these sort of like these consequential actions that can create a persona of someone who has like really fancy garb, really fancy stuff, also is in charge. Uh, and a lot of people will look at that person and say, you're power seeking. It's like, no, they're just, they're, this is the thing they like to do a lot and they're the one who's willing to put in the most time to do it. Sure. And, and so you should never, if you are one of these winning knights, you should never feel bad about, about your garb or your chain or your this or your that. Like these are things that, you know, a chain isn't a fancy piece of jewelry, it is a it is a heavy irritation to remind you of your oath. Right. right. A nice fancy squire tabard doesn't mean you're in charge. It is a reminder that you're bearing someone else's symbol and so if you mess up <laughs> there's someone who's directly responsible for that. So these are like tokens to remind you. I've yet to meet any knight or squire who's like yes this represents how cool I am. Right. I have yet to encounter encamp- and maybe it's out there. Um but these are symbols that, you know, remind you of your duty. I do as well. Um, so so don't be ashamed of all the work and effort that you put into it. And also don't be a jerk. <laughs> and also don't be a jerk.
0: That's a huge one in my opinion. Yeah. Well, Sir Juggernaut, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And I think that your squires are lucky to have you as an instructor, and I look forward to seeing what your remaining three are going to accomplish as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't had enough of the Art of Wargaming in your life, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, where I occasionally post funny and educational memes. If you want to get in touch with the show directly, you can email us at artofwargamingpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns that you might have. Also be sure to check out all of our sister shows on the Earworm Network, including General Nerdery, Word Balloons, Fried Squirms, and more we're working hard on having something for everyone. And again, you can find those at earverm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M. You can also find that in the show notes. But for now, this has been Yaga Malark, signing off.